This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Casey Cheshire. Casey is the founder and CMO of Cheshire Impact. On this episode, Casey talks about life-saving strategies for buying marketing tech, the future of marketing automation, and much more. Just as a heads up, this episode was recorded live at Dreamforce 2019, so there might be a little bit of background noise. So there might be a little bit of background noise. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have in our new studio location in downtown San Francisco, the new Mission HQ. Casey, what is going on? How's it going? I am so excited to be here. I'm a longtime fan. Uh, listen to it all the time. You do have a, a voice made for radio. <laughs> Face too, actually. Yeah. And uh, no, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. There's a beautiful office. Um, just, it's amazing. We are happy to have you because we love automation here at Mission. And uh, we love automation here on Marketing Trends. And we're going to get into a ton of that, including your new book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, The Strategic Path for B2B Growth. You've done 2,500 Pardot implementations at this point, which is incredible. So we're going to get into all that. But first, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Yeah. How did I get started in marketing? Let's go back. Let's go way back. (laughs) Um, You know, I've always loved technology. I've always loved people. And And I found that it's it's fun when they're both involved. One without the other. Ah, we get the technology. I've always loved geeking out with web pages and websites and back in the day of America Online, those kind of things. Um, and I always love connecting with other people. And I found that marketing, especially digital marketing and now marketing automation is the kind of thing where you can combine those two. You can have that, uh, that scientific testing, A-B testing, numerical mathematics to it, but you can also just the human feelings of it too. So it's a perfect combination for me. Probably got into it after realizing uh, 100% tech wasn't the way to go. I'm not, I'm not the world's best coder. And I realized I wanted to be able to involve tech and people. And I found marketing. So flash forward to today as CEO, well, CMO. Yeah. Which I love that you referenced that, um, of Cheshire Impact. That's it. Tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, the scope of the company, what you're working on. Sure. You know, I'm a longtime marketer, so I've been doing that for about um, a long, a long time. How could I even count? Um, but a good ten years ago, I bumped into marketing automation. I had left a big agency to essentially run marketing for a small, growing company. And when I got there, I realized everything was super messed up. 
they had long field forms, 12 fields to a form to get the newsletter and eventually became a lead and sales didn't want to talk to the lead. So there's super unqualified leads going through and everything was really kind of messed up. And, um, and here I am now owning marketing for the first time. So I looked around and I found Pardot. I found marketing automation and I implemented it and it turned that company around. It really launched my campaigns. That company turned around and really my career took off after working with marketing automation. And and so because of that, I've just been a fan. I just, I love marketing automation because of what it did for me. And I just like sharing that with other people. Yeah. And it seems like there's so many times when, you know, founders of companies use a product or use something and then end up you know, kind of seeing that transformation that happened for right. themselves and then say, wow, I want to make sure that other people can do that and doing implementations, uh, specifically, you know, in your case with Pardot. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, over 2,500, I mean, what is kind of like the before and after picture look like for when you sit down with someone who maybe doesn't understand marketing automation or understands it and wants to make sure that they're realizing the full potential. Yeah, it's a game changer, right? So th the reason why it made such a difference for me is because it wasn't just your standard marketing. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. It changes the game. Instead of trying to get married to our prospect at the very beginning with one form to to rule them all. No, yeah. you're, now you're sort of, you're dating your prospect. Now you're, you're having a relationship and it doesn't all have to happen in one form like a transaction anymore. It really changes things up. So I think because of that change, and because of the lack of people necessarily knowing about it, I've just really enjoyed sharing that knowledge with people. And I didn't seek out to go become a, a founder or start the company. Really, I just, I would keep telling people about my experience with Pardot and how it just was awesome. And then eventually some people started saying, that sounds really good, actually. <laughs> Could you help us do that too? And so very organically consulting came from that. And so you're at 25 employees now. It's obviously yep. super exciting growing yep. for those of you, uh, marketing, uh, geeks out there looking for, uh, looking for a role in the automation world. Definitely. Yeah. We'll link up your info in the show notes, but you're also working with a ton of marketers every day. Um, what are some of those issues or some of those pain points that you're hearing from the front lines? Yeah. You know, with a lot of talk about alignment with sales, uh, but really it's the accountability that sales has makes them King. And so marketing really needs to step up and have their own set of accountabilities and to be able to have a conversation with sales where they're not just, you know, throwing out some random numbers at them, but they're really aligned to, to helping things out. And so oftentimes when I, when I bump into to marketers, we're having conversations, they're sharing at the very worst, you're the print shop for sales, right? Yeah. You're the one you're going to Dreamforce, and up. Uh, well, you're the one making the collateral because that's what marketing does, right? Yeah, yeah. Or we're going to rebrand the website, but there's so much more to it. So it's kind of like doing our internal marketing to kind of brand ourselves as marketers that we can actually help drive deals, not just be, you know, the, the coffee getters or the, the booth creators, but actually getting some leads in the door that can actually turn into business. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned Dreamforce. We're at Dreamforce. It's swirling around us right now. <laughs> it is. Um, it's, uh, it's officially day one, which I love how it's actually like day two now. It you is. You have like day zero. It uh, is. <laughs> um, which is pretty funny. But obviously there's going to be a ton of conversations around automation during Dreamforce right now. Sure. Um, and you wrote a book about it. Yeah. So why... 
is it a strategic path? Because I love that you use that it's a strategic path because I feel like a lot of times like marketing automation is perhaps seen more as a tactic. I don't know. I'm curious yeah, what you think. hundred percent. And this is, this is a, an evolution that we even went through as well, because it, at the very beginning, we're training people how to use Pardot, right? You want to know how to use it. Um, and so everyone's really focused on how to do something. The good news is Pardot's really easy to use. So we're going to teach you how to use it and you're going to definitely know how to do it. The, the tools are very, very, you know, you can get to, to know them and click around. It makes total sense. The challenge is once you learn how to use the tool, what are you going to do with it? You know how to use it, but what are you going to do? And so strategy tends to be lacking for marketers. Some of our challenges with sales, some of the challenge with ourselves. So sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, I've, I've definitely been there too, where you, you look to a product to be your, your magic bullet to solve yeah. all your solutions and you don't necessarily take a step back to think about what, what do I actually want to accomplish here? And so I think not only do we not necessarily plan ahead to think about what, what we want to create, what kind of nurtures, what kind of forms and what kind of marketing we want to do. We don't actually take a step back to do that. But at the same time, we talk about strategy. It's like one of the most overused words in marketing is strategy. Oh, let's get strategic on this. Oh, that's uh, the, the stractical over here, the strategy <laughs> and tactics. And oh, let, let's get strategic. Oh, we don't, what's your strategy here? But when I, when I really thought about it, I didn't actually know what strategy even meant. So as part of this book, I was doing some research. Spoken like a true Marine. Right? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, we're saying this word. Do we even know what it means? It's like uh, the princess bride or something. Like, yeah. I don't think you know what that means. You know what? Strategy is as simple as having a goal and creating a plan to achieve that goal. And when I saw that definition, literally Google it. That's what you'll see. I thought, oh man, I can get behind this have a goal and set a plan to get there. And so that kind of forms the basis for the book is the idea of there's plenty of resources for how to do that. Videos, our team can train you all over the place. There's all these resources to know how to do something. The question is, what are you going to do for the strategy? And I really sort of developed this order of, of things where it, you need to start with strategy. So strategy first, then process. How does it fit into what you're doing now? And how does that process need to change? And then technology. So strategy, process, technology. And so that's, that's the flow of the book. We just, we approach, how do you maximize marketing automation within the, the idea of strategy? What are the strategies that you want to actually unleash in the world with your marketing automation? So that's what we tackle. Yeah. So, you know, you call these life-saving strategies for buying marketing tech. And obviously, Pardot is the the sponsor of this show, and we love them. Um, I know you think I'm paid to be here, but literally, I, I know. for ten years, I've just been saying how much I love Pardot. I, I love I, you, Pardot. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> we do as well. But I, I think, but to your point, is it's not just you know specifically for Pardot, but the the architecture landscape is right. so daunting at times. What are some of these strategies that you look at? when advising companies on on looking at buying marketing technology? Yeah, it, it sort of common sense approach, taking it just a step, take a, take a deep breath before you buy that next tool. And, and really the thought is similar to what we were just talking about. Start with the strategy. What are you actually trying to accomplish? And there's a really great question. After this technology has been purchased and it's up and running and doing exactly what you want it to do, what has to be true for this whole thing to have been a success? You know, what's that ideal outcome. 
even just taking a second to write that down is more than a lot of us do. And what you don't necessarily want to do is, is pass the reins over to the person selling you the tool. You need to just, before you get on that call, figure out amongst your own team, what do you want to have successful or what kind of strategy you're going after that requires some technology to help you. And so again, you have the strategy, what kind of we want to reach out to customers in this way. Maybe we want to have an ABM approach. Great. Okay. How does it fit in the process? Figure that out next. And oftentimes it's figuring out gaps. You may have some gaps in your process. You may do a great job at capturing leads. Uh, you may do a great job of closing them inside a sales cloud, but huh, how are we going to nurture them? Maybe there's a gap there. Once you've identified that, maybe technology could fill that gap. And then finally is the tech side, figuring out, okay, now that we've got the strategy, the process in place, Let's actually develop this tech. Let's put it into place and then build it um, so that we're not just, you know, buying something and leaving it on the shelf. Let's buy it and actually put it to work. Yeah. Do you find that when they make an investment in implementation with your company that the people are more serious about using it? Uh, I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, but I would imagine that, oh, I'd imagine that there'd be like one of two ways. There's people where it's like, okay, let's get someone to help us implement it because we don't want to yeah. worry about it. Sure. And kind of just like, you know, kick the can a little bit. Or people are like, I want to make sure that we're serious about it. Let's do this the right way. There's something to be said for investing in a guide to show you how to get up that mountain, right? Yeah. It's like, huh, you know, I see where the top is. I could probably walk there, but maybe there's some crevasses along the way that you can't see. And, and really everyone can get there. So sometimes when you get a guide to help you out, you can skip that, you know, there's that crawl, walk, run progression. You can really skip right to a sprint or right to a jog from having never used something before. If you've got someone in your corner, kind of like in, in your corner of the ring advising you on what to do, it can be really helpful to do that. So yeah, we, we see there's a lot there, but also sometimes it's just sharing with people our stories. We use it ourselves. I was just using it earlier today. I was sharing a link to the book and we are talking about how it's tagged with campaign coding and it tags Pardot and we were just talking about that. And so we use it ourselves and we want people to be inspired by it. So sometimes it's just enough just to share your experience or the experience of a uh, client or customer you've worked with that's also found some great success. What are the types of companies that you're that you're working with on this? Yeah, all kinds. It's amazing. Uh, it's very fortunate that we've been able to work with so many companies since the uh, the acquisition of Pardot. So companies large and small, all the way up to the really cool ones, all the way down to the that small company that's in growth stage or that startup that's just trying to get a sense for it. Very much B2B companies you know, across North America and Europe, just working with them to help them maximize it because you're going to invest in a tool. You really want to use it. You want to get the most out of it. So that's, that's what drives me in the morning. I mean, are you sitting, are you primarily working with the person who's like, you know, the technology owner, the, the part out owner, the Salesforce owner, or are you working? I mean, is it, is it, do you sit down with the whole marketing teams, you know, CMO in the room and say like, Hey, this is, you know, this is the secret sauce of how to make sure that this thing runs smoothly. Yeah, there's a couple aspects to it. One, you got to make sure that power users trained up. Maybe you were the power user on another tool, but now you're going to be the expert on part out. We're going to get you there. But then you're right. You got to get more people involved. So I remember being in you know a boardroom where we've got the marketing leaders, the sales leaders, and we're actually drawing their whole sales and marketing process on a whiteboard. And sometimes sales doesn't even know what we're doing in marketing. So it's really eye-opening yeah. to them to know, oh, you guys do this? Wow. Great point. And then it's great for marketing to know, oh, sales, you actually do that? I, we could make a drip campaign that could help with that. 
So it just kind of gets everyone on the same page. And, um, and that, that's, that's incredible when you get everyone there, anyone that really touches that prospect along the journey from, you know, kind of interested to, to a customer. Yeah. I love that. I think consulting in general is something that I feel like a lot of times people like point at a problem or, or whatever it is and say, kind of like fix this yeah. without saying like, let's figure out what are the, you know, mechanics behind why that problem exists in the first place. Right. Right. Uh, and it kind of takes that third party to be able to like, look at it and figure that out. But the consulting without the impact is mm. useless. And that's, what's great about leveraging a tool, yeah. uh, which inherently is automation, which is giving your employees superpowers to do more than they could. Uh, and what's great about technology is like, you know, kind of consulting plus technology equals, you know, kind of, of shared experience, shared learnings, lessons learned. Success. Uh, yeah. And success. Yeah. Whereas kind of the opposite, it's like, I went to the doctor and I, you told me I had a broken arm and it's kind of like, I kind of knew it was hurting. So yeah. And the, <laughs> and the trial, trial and error, you know, like Otherwise you're going to do that and it's going to take some while. And, and if you can avoid learning the hard way, why not? For sure. Go for it. You know? Yeah. Do you think that the way in which, you know, you sit down with a super large company that has, I don't know, a sales team of, we'll just say, I don't know, a hundred people versus sure. a team that's just a hundred people, a whole company that's a hundred people. What are kind of the differences between how you go into those engagements? Yeah. You know, um, no matter what we go back to strategy, process, technology. So what's your strategy? What's your go to market strategy? Do you know who your buyers are understanding the, the journey gets into process? Okay. What happens? How do you capture leads? What happens after that? What happens after that? When do you send them over to sales? What happens if they send them back? Do you send them over again? Like what happens then? So asking a lot of those questions, mm -hmm. mapping out the process and then understanding, okay, is your tech doing what you've described in your process or are there gaps there? So companies large or small following that same rubric works every time. Now there's for sure considerations, the larger the company, the more gaps may be hidden. I was introduced to a company and they, had, they kind of came with a, a sad story, which was they had been given, they had made, got permission. They got an, an additional million dollars in budget in the marketing department. Um, they were stoked, right? Because in marketing, we're always fighting for budget, trying to get more budget and, and then even justifying our existence to the world. But these guys got an additional million dollars in budget. And so they're excited. But, but when they came to us, it, it had been a year later and they had spent a million more dollars and revenue had been flat. Nothing had changed. And so it kind of, bitter humor, but the idea you could have just gone to Vegas with that money, right? Like what, or you just could have had a bonfire. Like what happened? You had all, you invested a million more dollars and nothing happened from that. And they, they didn't quite know where it went, right? They didn't quite know like, why don't we have growth from this? We, we didn't invest a dollar. This is some serious money. And, and, and when we went in and looked at it, you know, this, and they had a sound strategy. They had great technology stack, sound strategy, process was missing. We went in there and looked, and apparently there was something like 30,000 leads, 30,000 leads that were on their way over to sales from marketing, but with the systems they were using, they were kind of stuck in the middle. Oh, wow. And marketing is like, we sent them. Sales was like, well, we never got them. 
And you know, you can do finger pointing, but in the end it was, this was a process problem. And so there were some gaps there. So the bigger the company, the more gaps you may have. Um, but at the same time, strategy process technology has always sort of served us, served us well. I, I'm making this analogy up on the spot here, but I feel like we need a, like a, a meme that is, you know, marketing and sales pointing at each other. And then somebody like marketing automation, putting a finger trap in between them. And it's like, you're stuck together now. I like it. Like, um, a, like one of those finger traps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are hilarious. Because I think that that's, you know, part of the thing with finger pointing is, um, I, I have, I'll tell you the story later, but there, I have a great story about, uh, day shift versus night shift when I was in Afghanistan. Yeah, and for, for our listeners, I guess I should say that Casey was in the Marines. We were chatting about military stuff before this. And I will tell the story now. Why would yeah, I it was like an Army Marine Corps debate before we got started. Good way to get started. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> turns out it was a short debate. Uh, so, uh, but anyways, day shift constantly would blame night shift for mm. leaving too much work, not doing any work. And night shift would blame day shift for just pushing all their work onto them. So we switched up the teams. And then a few months later, same thing happened. Day shift and blaming night shift. I was like, you were just on day you shift. Just on. Like half of you switched, <laughs> right? So I think it's one of those pretty obvious scenarios that when marketing and sales are blaming each other for something, like obviously there's communication broken. But yeah. in this case, it's actually the technology not serving either of the needs and you have to be able to step back and do that. Are there ways that you've seen like best practices to be able to get both sides and have that same common operating picture to see that kind of you're both like whether it's sharing the band or, you know, yeah. whatever you want to use to be able to, uh, you know, be speaking the same language. For sure. I think voc vocabulary goes a long way. When we have different languages, it's, it's easy to get in arguments, right? We, we can't even necessarily get, keep ourselves out of being in arguments and getting in trouble by texting, right? In the same language. How much crazier can it be if we're speaking in different languages, a language of sales, a language of marketing? They're very different approaches. They're both needed and necessary, but they have some different approaches to it. There's a bigger picture view. There's that narrow individual one-on-one -on -one relationship focused on the deal view. There's, and they all bring their, their, their strengths to this, but one of the ways we can, we can help mend that is just get on the same page with what we're going to call things. Are we going to call them leads? Are we going to call, you know, what are we going to call qualified when it gets to a certain point? What's the definition at, at each step in the journey? And I, I remember being at a company and just putting down on a table a, a marketing funnel and there was different stages to it and, it and it connected to a pipeline, the sales pipeline. And we just talked about, okay, we call these things this, what do you call them? And let's just agree on like a common vocabulary so that we can at least start there. And I think at the, the same time, common vocabulary very quickly turns into the end has to be the same. You know, we can't have our own metrics we're defending. It's like we're all going for revenue. We're all going for the for the win. Yeah, one of the, uh, we had the CMO council here yesterday. So we had 25 CMOs in nice. here. Uh, yeah, it was awesome, awesome discussion. Not recorded, but uh, I can share some of the, the tidbits here. But But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was one of the CMOs was talking about how they changed brand to brand gen. So huh. it's like, we're not doing brand plays anymore because okay. that kind of like triggers people sometimes. Sure. So it's all brand gen. So it's like, there's gotta be some sort of demand gen operation around it. And then another CMO is saying that they got rid of the term demand gen altogether. Interesting. And that now it's just growth. So which their B2B side now aligns with their B2C side of the business, which has a growth team. And therefore 
demand generation, which inherently has a logical endpoint, which right. is like the demand has been generated, generated. And, and that, you know, person is a leader, however you want to classify it. Yeah. Now it's just growth activities that, uh, you know, fill pipeline or enhance pipeline. And I just thought that like those little changes are really interesting because they align to other parts of the business and how they, how they see those things. Right. And it very much is a shifting what we call things in marketing to a more widely used term outside of marketing, whether that's whichever part of the business it is. Yeah. I think, I think in the past we've used, you know, we're guilty of this, not all of us in marketing, but we've used these terms as almost like shields. Yeah. You know, if you don't know what that term means, well, you don't know what that term means. You're not a marketer. I'm a a smart marketer and give me more budget, you know, weird voodoo sayings and you don't know what I'm saying. But um, that's not really the way to collaborate on a team. That's kind of like the putting up a silo, putting up a wall. We really want to be united, you know, one team going to that single goal. And it's still not easy even once you do that. But at least then you have to prove that we're actually still marching to the same goal. And then that takes some time and some trust building. And then the other part, that mapping out the process on the walls just so people can see. I think it's helpful for each team to understand. In the book, we talk about, Hey, sales is hard, you know, and I think it, it's great for marketers to get a chance to go be a sales rep. Try Absolutely. try doing sales. I mean, sell tickets to your kids' recital, um, sell candy bars. I had a chance to sell early on in my marketing career, help out a friend who had a tuxedo rental business. Yeah, And so we would go to trade shows, oftentimes bridal shows, get dressed up in a tux and then talk to future, talk to fiancés about getting married? Did they have tuxedos? And you had to on the spot, get them to sign up, sign this form to promise to come in. And they had to leave a deposit, which was like pulling teeth sometimes, but you had to handle objections on the spot. And then you also had to learn things like, Hey, you can't get everybody. So prioritize your time. There are all these little micro sales lessons that I learned just from being in the, in the thick of it. And there's also emotion there too. So I found that immeasurably important to just be in that sales role to really respect it. And I think a little bit of that respect from either side goes a long way. Marketing, understanding a little more about sales can respect it. Be like, you know what? That's a hard job. I respect you guys doing that. You go for it. And then also sales, understanding a little bit more about what marketing's doing. Wow. You're creating these science experiments that continue to bring us people and educate them and make my job that much easier. Speaking of terminology, yes. you've talked about the past how you don't think MQL is the right term anymore. You think it's killing sales and marketing alignment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, I I will say, I didn't say that the MQL is dead. Because I see, anytime I I hear this, like something's dead, someone's usually selling something, right? I know. Oh, this is dead. Buy this other thing instead. Usually Um, they're selling clicks whenever anything is dead. Yeah, clickbait, right? This is dead. Oh my gosh, it's dead. Let me click on that. So the the MQL, I had a really interesting discussion with uh, James Buckley. He's the Say What Sales guy. He's a a BDR for life. He's a BDR manager now. He loves that function. And I had kind of taken the BDR function for granted, almost as if that was like, you know, junior sales, they're, they're kind of learning the ropes and then eventually they get to graduate into sales. And, and James kind of shifted my thinking around on that. And, and what I came to realize is actually th- those first initial sales calls are very important because I know I agree. Yeah. I, this is actually one of my huge gripes. Yeah. We, we talked about this at the CMO council yesterday that all of us are sick of getting, you know, hit up by a million SDRs or, you know, whatever right. it is and talking to, you know, a bunch of junior folks that, are not really qualified to have a conversation with us. Sure. And 
that the logical extension of that is that the BDR is also that same exact, like, you know, the one step up from that. And like, I think the sales machine was a great idea when it was start first rolling out and like, you know, email high and all of that, but it kind of broke a little bit Mm -hmm. with email. I fully, I don't really understand how getting your least qualified people in front of your most qualified prospects is a good idea. Like a first impression, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't realize there's, there are actually important questions get answered on that call, which is ideally, are they qualified? Yeah. And and when I thought about, well, what is that thing? Marketing qualified MQL, marketing qualified lead. I was like, oh no, we're literally saying, I sent you 30 MQLs, but did we actually qualify them? Well, from helping people set up lead scoring and grading, I know that most people haven't set this up yet. Okay. And if you haven't, that's okay. Your time is coming. You need to set that up. But but most people haven't set that up yet, but we're still calling an MQL, but do we actually know if it's qualified? Like for marketing to say marketing qualified lead and they get one that's not qualified, we've just shot our reputation as marketers internally in the foot because we're saying this is qualified, but maybe we haven't actually qualified them at all. Maybe we didn't have a chance and the BDR is going to qualify them. But we need to be really careful about that. At its best, I think what marketing can do is pre-qualify a lead. We can say, well, we looked, we got some data from outside sources. They indicated they have an immediate timeline and this is the right decision maker. So all things point to this is probably someone you should further qualify for an opportunity, but it doesn't mean take, you know, it doesn't mean it's completely qualified. It's more like it's pre-qualified. And I think we don't need to necessarily get into changing words and names, but did they really think about in the marketing world, if we're sending over something, maybe that's why we call it an MQL. Cause if we call it a marketing qualified lead, we maybe get more pushback on it. <laughs> we got, you know, 300 leads that didn't qualify at all that we sent over. So kind of be careful with what we're sending to sales and, and understand that, you know, our reputation's on the line with every lead we send over. Do you, and I, I think you're right that if we were to change it to M, MPQL, it's it's an additional abbreviation that we probably don't need. Right. But I think the mindset around like what is this action doing? That's why I think Bant is like a great like use of that. I know I know yeah. it's a little outdated, but the idea of like you know splitting this thing that you kind of both meet halfway. I think the uh, optimist in me likes that. So let let's get into lead scoring because sure. it's something that uh, you've done a lot of. Can we just do like lead scoring 101? Sure. And and just say for our listeners out there who just it's too big of a hurdle to ta- to do and or it's been too big of a hurdle, but 2020 sure. is the year that we're going to figure out lead scoring. Sure. Um, what is it? Why is this important? And what what's your advice? Yeah, I think where you start with that is understanding what sales's expectations are, what their history of lead scoring has been. Like what sales has experienced prior to maybe even working with you with lead scoring is that it's terrible. It doesn't say anything. Uh, it's a horrible number. It's hard to understand. So almost every sales rep I've ever talked to has either had bad thoughts around lead scoring or completely ignored it altogether Yeah, because it's just, it, it hasn't said anything. And it's because it's been a single number that supposedly somebody in marketing has said, this is going to tell you. These are the people you should talk to first. But in, in reality, there's a second dimension there. And so whenever I talk about lead scoring, I also want to bring up lead grading as well. Grading and scoring, grading and scoring. We have a rule at Cheshire Impact that we never talk about just scoring. It's like forbidden. 
you have to talk about scoring and grading. You could say scoring and grading, grading and scoring, but they have to be together. And that's because there are two very important dimensions of what we're trying to convey to sales. And so taking a step back and talk about the 101, which you asked about, lead scoring is how interested they are in you. So they being the prospect. Lead scoring is how interested your visitor is in what you have, maybe the different things they've consumed. And really, it should be strictly all the activity. So these are all the different activities they've done. It's showing how much research they've done, how engaged they are. And then everything about how good of a lead they are should be separated out and be in lead grading. In part, it's beautiful. It's it's scoring is a number, grading is a letter, just like school, and it goes from A to F. Ideally, mostly A's, right? So, grading is how interested you are in your visitor, in your prospect. And so, if you think of those two things together, when scoring is how interested they are in you, and grading is how interested you are in them, now you have this two-way street, full picture of who is this particular lead, and should I contact them or not? And the most important factor of that whole thing is the grade. And the grade is all the different things. It could be Bant, like we talked about. I love Bant too. Or we just ask sales, what are the ideal leads? What what kind of qualities do you want? And someone we're going to send over you. They may tell you a certain type of title or a certain number of computers or hospital beds or whatever their numbers are. Great. That goes into the grading. And then the scoring is happening behind the scenes. What's interesting with Pardot is scoring is set up automatically. It's already there by default. It's already kind of in the background churning <laughs> away. And the good news is it's retroactive. So if you ever want to change anything, it'll go back and just automatically update it for everyone. But grading isn't. You got to do the work on grading. Find out what is the criteria that makes a good lead. Get it from sales. Maybe have your own ideas. You build it into grading. And that way, when you send leads over, sales can then sort first by grade. I want to talk to all the A's and the B's and the C's. You don't need to send the D's and the F's. Just keep those to yourself, right? And then they can then sort those A's by who's the most engaged to least engaged. So you start with the quality leads who are interested in you. Sure. But you're most interested in talking to them. They're a decision maker at the right size company in the right size industry and they're engaged. And then use those two in conjunction. And the sales is like, yeah, this is awesome. It helps with the problem of you send the leads over and you feel like maybe sales isn't calling them. Well, this can help with that because when they see an A, they can't help but call it. And then they get to the B's too, and maybe the C's if they're hungry, but at least you kind of give them a direction of these are people you actually do want to talk to based on the criteria you gave me last week in our meeting. Yeah, that was one of the things um, yesterday, Peter Isaacson, the CMO at Demandbase, you know, was talking about with like, if you don't, if everyone doesn't know your target account list, everyone, and if everyone doesn't, then, you know, secondarily have the ideal customer profile list. If you don't work, do that work ahead of time, in advance, with everyone there, with both sides of the table, then like the rest of the stuff is not going to be helpful. Right, right. But see, you know, it goes back to that thing of the company spending the million dollars and, and nobody knowing. We were talking to um, someone the other day. They were talking about a, a spend and they were saying, well, the first time we did this spend, we got X amount of results, traffic. But this time we spent like twice as much, but we've seen like the same amount of traffic. And to go back and to re- restructure that conversation to say, the first time we were just seeing if like people were interested. And the second time we went back to figure out who the people were who, who were paying attention the first time and then recalibrating so that our second spend, we were doing a lot more demographic information. Right. Like if you don't explain those things to sales, 
you're just completely like leaving them out of the loop of like why you're doing the things right yeah and, you know in the military it's uh you know task and purpose right right um or or distance and direction or, sure. or whatever whatever have you but you have to give kind of the why behind what you're doing otherwise it's just kind of a black box and totally. i think transparency is is a huge part of this and it's if you're not co-creating the target account list, the ideal customer profile, and uh, ultimately for, you know, for lead grading, it's like all of that stuff backs in. Yeah. You know, the commander's intent too, right? What are you trying to do here? I remember this crazy example of exactly what we were talking about. I was working at this large internal agency and um, the client, the internal client we were working with had an organic landing page, you know, kind of a contact us page on their site and it was one of those notorious 12 field forms. It was really long to yeah. fill that thing out. And people did. Some people did fill it out. But we had also been helping them create a bunch of AdWord campaigns. And so we we're really getting optimized. And so the form for our pages was short. It was like four, five versus yeah. 12. And we were proud of it. We're like, this is optimized. And we started sending traffic at it, generating leads from it. And then sure, wouldn't you know, like several months later, um, somebody pulled a report that said that the leads from our pay-per-click ads were not nearly as good. They weren't converting to business. And and now when you talked earlier about, you know, clicks are not enough. You need to know if they're actually going to buy. And so the initial report had, was indicating that perhaps the leads we were getting from these AdWord campaigns with these shorter forms were not purchasing nearly as much as the leads that were coming in from these really gross 12 field forms. Yeah. And sort of the newbie way to approach that would be to say, well, maybe we just get higher quality leads. I want to fill out 12 fields. Let's make all of our forms 12 fields long. And meanwhile, I'm freaking out going like, no, don't do that. Don't jump. Uh, Like I'll save you. And so before making any changes, I went and I sat with sales and this was like a large company. So they had this, sales pit, if you will, of all these recent college grads just dialing for dollars on all these leads and just attacking them. And I just kind of sat with them for a while. And thankfully, they let me sit there. And so I was just kind of hanging out. And eventually, when they were off the phone uh, for a little bit, I was just kind of just asking them, you know, tell me about the leads. And they could see the lead sources too. And we started chatting. And what I learned there was crazy. What, What I learned is that no one had told sales or these people making these calls too, that we were actually testing two different size forms. They thought everyone had been offered the chance to fill out 12 fields and some of them hadn't and some of them had. So they were cherry picking the people that had filled out 12 fields because they thought these must be higher quality people. Meanwhile, these people that only filled out five fields they don't, they must not really care enough to fill out the fields. So they were leaving them. Yeah. And we, these are the ones we're actually spending the most money on. We're like, guys, we're spending money on these clicks. And so all we had to do was just share with them. They actually didn't have an option to fill out more and we can make follow-up nurtures to do that. This was kind of before the Pardot days, but more importantly, don't hold this against them. (laughs) This is not their fault. We were testing something and then things were able to change, but you're right. If, if you don't, you know, if the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand, you may make some crazy changes. What if they had made the change to make their forms all gigantic and drop their conversion rates? And that's why you do a double blind. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you're not, if you're, if you're giving the salespeople, uh, half the information, then, uh, that's crazy. That's a really good story. I love that. I was talking to, uh, the CTO of Stitch Fix, uh, Kathy Polinsky. She was saying that 
she was saying that for Stitch Fix, they went, they had eight questions of like, you know, their, of like what, how to fill out, you know, your, your, all of your dimensions and all that stuff. And they switched to 10 and, uh, the renewals increased way more, obviously, because the clothes fit better. Yeah. Right. So it's like, there are situations where if it's, 100% 100% in the person's best interest to do the longer form because right. it informs what you're going to be like your product. Right. If it's built into the product in this case, right. like, you know, if I'm just like, yeah, you know, my, my waist size is, you know, whatever. And my shoulder size, whatever <laughs> my shoe size, whatever half my clothes aren't going to fit. Right. You know, the whole point of this is to have this like 10 point inspection. Right. right. So I think that you kind of have to look at like, how does your product shape? Like, are these necessary to personalize a journey for that person? And then, yeah, absolutely. We need 12 contact forms. If this is just getting like nice to have information, like, you know, what's your pet's name? Um, Does that impact the product? Like, no, unless, I mean, maybe we have a drip campaign about, you know, puppies if they, you know, I mean, and then maybe it totally does work. Pot out puppies. Pot out puppies. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Yeah. Um, Uh, which are someone I haven't seen them yet at Dreamforce. So, but to your point, you don't have to ask those questions all at once. Um, yeah. And especially in that first form, Hey, I just met you, you know, it's like one of the old song, right? Not even old. Like I just met you, call me crazy, but like, then give me all your details. You know, what's your blood type? You know, do you want to go on a date? What's your blood type? You know, uh, do you want, how many kids do you want? Whoa, we just met, you know? So in these particular cases, we'll say like, have the shortest form possible. That's where marketing automation comes in. No longer do you have to have the, you know, ask those 12 measurements, but first ask what's their name and email to be nice. And then maybe what's, you know, what's your, your favorite style, you know, so you can have, you can nurture them in some way, shape or form, or, you know, you know, what role are they? What persona are they? Just one other question, name, email, one other question. So you can put them on that nurture track. And what I also love seeing is have the second form afterward. You got their information. Okay, cool. Now we're in a relationship. If you'd like to move this thing right along, here's a second form with some more details. And and if you answer this, here's what you'll get out of it. Like here, here's what we can do with this data if you tell us, and it's totally optional. Yeah, there's a fine line between pre-qualification and like pre-onboarding. Like yeah. if it's necessary to the product, if it if it will make your customer experience better to sure. have these questions answered, like demonstratively better, if these are sticking points, if these are catch points in the onboarding process, right. like you absolutely need to need to know. Sure. It's like then yeah, you 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 schedule those earlier on in the process. But uh but if they're not then you know, yeah. figure it out later. I, I've literally seen, and we've done a lot of testing around this, and you also see stats out there. Every form field you can get rid of can increase your conversion rate on that form anywhere from like a half a percent to, I've even seen up to like 3% increase. That just means more leads, right? The math, all the math aside, more leads, less fields, more leads, so more people fill it out. Can I, uh, let me play devil's advocate sure. there. Uh, more leads isn't always a good thing. Sure. What would be an instance where that isn't the case? Because I think that there is there is kind of that situation where you do have the like, you know, sales, more leads, more leads, more leads. But now like even in an ABM world where, you know, we're looking at, okay, well, you know, a bunch of leads from, you know, hair salons when we're a B2B sure. company is not a good thing. And then we got to figure that out. And, you know, those people end up being Fs and all of that. So, you know, we do figure it out that way. Um, and automation helps with figuring that out. Right. But for those folks who haven't kind of figured that out, 
what is that kind of like line? Because you don't want to have just email address, uh, unless you're on a mission podcast, then you're just going to hey. do email address. <laughs> um, then you can just put your email address and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm curious to your thoughts there. Yeah. I think in my head, the reason when I say things like that, it's because I know that you're right. You need some way of scrubbing, some way of qualifying, figuring it out after that first form, whether you send them over to sales. But you're right. In many places, you fill out one form, you go right to sales. Yeah. That doesn't need to happen anymore with marketing automation. It, in fact, it, hopefully one day it won't happen. Yeah. We start with clients understanding, okay, you're setting up marketing automation. Status quo says you're going to send it right over. I'd love you not to. I'd love you to build in some process to that. But understanding that, that that sometimes is the case. I yeah, For these particular forms, when I'm saying this kind of thing, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to send it over to sales unless we have at least their phone number and maybe a couple other data points that sales really wants. But at the same time, I love to at least get their, get something, get their email, knowing that I can then use marketing automation to nurture them through. And um, it's kind of taking a step back. Marketing automation, capture, nurture, automate, and reporting. Um, that's how someone told me at the very beginning when I didn't know anything. I'm like, what is marketing automation? He said, capture, nurture, automate. The capture is magical. If you, and part of it does all these great things where you can have the forms just dynamically change to really optimize to what we're talking about. If you know something about someone, that field will disappear automatically and, and automatically shrink that form and then make it as, as highly efficient as possible. But you're right. You get them in, you don't have all their data. You got to get them to come back. That's why you always want to ask some kind of segmentation question on that first form to try to get them back. Get them in the, you got to get them in the fold, but then you're right. You got to nurture them through that process. Um, and then not just send them right over to sales with just an email address. Let's talk data for a second. Let's Obviously, how we're managing our data has changed significantly. Obviously, you know, since you started the company, how marketing manages data, which is so crazy that like, you know, right. really the, the CMO is now, you know, as close to data as anyone in the C-suite, you know, which is pretty wild. Marketing's taken over the world. Yeah, there right? you go. Um, but you've referred to marketing data as potentially a ticking time bomb. Sure. Why do you think that is? Yeah. You know, I, I think not many people like change. We kind of like things that stay the same, but the challenge is, Things do change and our data or data, depending where you're from, <laughs> is constantly changing. And I was having a conversation with friends over at Inside View and they were highlighting yeah, for Tracy's me. Tracy's great. Oh, amazing, right? She was here yesterday. Yeah, she's amazing. Shout out to Tracy. Yo, what's up, Tracy? <laughs> so, um, and they were really kind of schooling me on because they're they're data geeks, right? They're they're going deep on data. And and I was learning a lot from them around the fact that your data is constantly degrading, right? Mm. And if you think about the humans, because I know that there's another concept, like the, the human to human, right? B2B, it's human to human. Well, humans, what are we, we're moving, right? We're moving locations. We're also constantly degrading, we're which is de a little depressing. Yeah, hopefully we're improving personally, but like, <laughs> you know, we're moving, right? Oh, we just moved from DC over to somewhere else. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. Got a promotion. Email addresses are changing. We're working at a different company. That's constantly happening. So our leads aren't as nearly as static as we think they are. Great point. And so because of that, that data in our database, we, I think just like we've kind of hid behind the, the weird terminology, the marketing terminology, the MQLs and the CPCs and CPMs, we've kind of hid behind that. I think, and I've done this, I've 
it can be tempting not to hide behind the numbers of your database. Hey, we've got 3,000 or 30,000 or 300 million prospects in our database that we can mail at any time. Yes, but as we've learned, uh, some percent of them, some double digit percent of them is probably not going to be at that company next year for whatever reason. And that data may not be there. So things are constantly changing. And so sometimes we encounter companies who are moving over to marketing automation and they want to bring the 30,000 leads or the the 20,000 leads they have in their database. But some of them, are, they got them from the seventies, yeah. right? Um, we even had this, we had a client, a nonprofit who works with a lot of churches. Pastors are moving all the time. Yeah. And if you send out an email and you get a bunch of bounces, that hurts your reputation. And so at, at the very least, it hurts your reputation as, a, as an email sender. So there's all sorts of things wrapped up into this. And when, I, when my eyes were open, having some of these conversations with Tracy and other folks, I'm realizing, oh, okay, we can't just rely on the, the number in our database as this number that keeps growing. I think we kind of look at it as like we're squirreling away candy, like on Halloween, like, okay, more candy in my bag, more candy in my bag. But to be truthful, there's a hole in the bottom of that bag. And some of these people are moving on. Some of these people are going away. So we just kind of have to recognize that as marketers, if we do that, we're safe. But if we just start piling up leads and hoarding them, thinking that every time we add leads, they're never going to go away. Do you end up with this huge list that if you were to email that list, you're getting in trouble with everyone involved in that email. You're hitting spam reports. You're getting sender reputation decreases. So there's all these kind of things to think about when it comes to that data. I love that. And boy, that is a harder thing to do than to say, because, you know, we had, um, I don't know what our, our marketing trends email list is now, for example, but, um, I'm sure it's huge. It is, it is, it is big. <laughs> um, shout out to all the marketing trends fans, email a uh, team at marketing trends.com. If you have any questions or want to ask us anything or just have Snyder marks for Ben, our producer Do who's it. standing lurking in the corner, um, like Ichabod crane. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but it was one of those things where it was like, you're, you know, you're building a list and like podcast is very, you know, new stuff coming out all the time yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But it's one of those things where it's like your people are changing. They're evolving. A lot of people use their business address or their business email, you know, all those sort of things, uh, specifically in this, that, you know, this type of, uh, this type of thing, ultimately like it's a podcast. It's not an email newsletter, right? right. Like we have a newsletter. That's awesome. Uh, which everyone should check out, but, uh, but it's a show, right? Sure. So like even the utility of this thing, you have to monitor and really closely scrub because you're not trying to grow it for the sake of growth. You're trying to grow the engagement within, you know, the listener base so that they know what's going on with new episodes and all these sort of things. And I think a lot of times just people just want to grow the number so that they can report, you know, month over month growth of the newsletter. Yeah. And year I, over year. And I think the mistake is to think of your lead list as a bank account. Yeah, It's exactly. not yeah. money. You put it in there. It's not safe. It's all constantly moving. Um, and so you need to work with those people and nurture them now and, and try to get them, you know, ease their pain now, but you can't just count on them that list to continue to grow year after year after year. It's also decreasing at the same time. I mean, I love, and I'm really excited for the future of email newsletters and, the utility that they provide. And I think that that is like the thing I'm most excited about for marketers to figure out because 
the email newsletter has gone absolutely nowhere. Like people thought it was going to die and it definitely did not do that. It's far from that. Sure. But now it can provide utility that's really unique. Uh, that's not really too much governed by anyone else other than uh, the, the spam lords. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and a lot of that, you know, we can kind of stay away from. But the way that people use it as a utility, the way that people, you know, can be proactive, that they can talk to people, they can personalize, they can react in real time, they can give people just-in-time information, they can, you know, push and pull, which is exciting. Um, like all of those things I think is super fun, but I think you're exactly right. And you nailed it on the head that it's not a bank account. It's right. not, you know, you're not going to grow 3% with inflation inflation for this thing. Right. You know, it's not, yeah, you it's don't not get a, interest. Yeah. It's not a CD. <laughs> it just, it doesn't sure. just like, you know, always on. And in fact, it's, it's the opposite. Absolutely. And, and I'd actually like to talk about newsletters even, right? Because there's a lot of cool tech out there that can make those better. It's what you're talking about. But a lot of times what we see out there is that batch and blast, right? Totally. I've got a, a list and I send a single email to everyone. And maybe it looks like it's a fake personal email, which looks horrible because you did it wrong. Or maybe just a stra straight out newsletter. And then as marketers were wondering, was that effective? Like, I spend 30% of my month like getting ready for this newsletter. Does anyone read it? Is it worth it? And the challenge with newsletters is that a lot of times your best content happened like six months ago. And a good example of this is uh, I was once writing for a local New Hampshire travel magazine. So New Hampshire, not one of the biggest states. We're not the smallest state, but we're not exactly a large state. Live free or die. Live free or die. No, no income tax, I've sales tax. We're good. I've spent a lot of time in New Hampshire, <laughs> in, uh, in Hollis, New Hampshire. So I'm with you. Oh, there you go. That's down the street from me. So that's cool. There you go. See? So, so it's, it's got its treasures. And so I was writing for this travel magazine in New Hampshire called New Hampshire To Do. What did do in New Hampshire? And it starts out strong, really cool stuff. Here, there, here, there. But by the second year... We had gotten down to like a model train museum or going to the beach again or something like it. We had run out of good things to talk about because we didn't want to repeat ourselves. Yeah. But our best content happened at the beginning. And I think sometimes this happens with marketers too. You're going to start a newsletter or you get start a new company and you're going to write for the newsletter. Great. You're excited. And your best content happened. And then the next issue, some good stuff happened. But eventually after nine, 12 issues of this thing, is it just a job? Do you have anything else in interesting to say? Maybe you've got a couple tidbits you can update people on for stats, but your best stuff already happened. That's where marketing automation comes in. Because instead of having a newsletter that you have to then create every month for everyone, what happens to your prospect, a, a really good lead that comes in next year? They're going to get your uninspired work, or let's say you're still inspired, but they're, your best content, you've already answered some of their problems early on, but they're not going to get that because they came in after the fact. Yeah. I mean, this is a great point in, um, in like knowing what your audience wants, right? Yeah. It's like, there's all the people who have New Hampshire at the top of their list of like someday. I'm going to go, right? <laughs> sure. Like someday I'm going to be able to go and I'm going to go in the fall and it's going to be beautiful. And then maybe we'll, you know, head down to Boston and try to catch, you know, a, a game or something sure. or whatever it is. And then there's the people who go there every summer. So what do they want from right. this experience, right? Like 
they want to know what's going on. They want to know what, you know, the local, you know, Hollis Brookline High is up to or something. I don't know. They want to know uh, maybe some new things that are going on in town and they want to stay up to date. And I think just like a lot of times it's way easier to just do the one size fits all approach. Yeah. And you're just kind of talking to nobody. True. True. And it's not, but it's not fun as a marketer either. Cause you want, if you're going to take all this time to write something on LinkedIn, on your email, you want people to read it. Right. I mean, why do we get into this in the first place? Like let's help people out. And so the cool thing with nurturing is it's like, great. You can do your monthly campaign. If you want, you can do your newsletter if you want, but take a second after you've sent it, and take your best content off of that thing. And you can build it into a drip campaign where your absolute best article, your best newsletter, if you will, but you're free from the newsletter constraint. But that goes into your very first email in the drip. And then your your second best, your, that article you're really proud of goes into that second email. And then the third and the fourth. And you can actually create your ideal newsletter that no matter when somebody comes in, they get your best articles in order. Because in, with a nurture campaign, if I come in today, I get... Issue number one. If I come in nine months from now, I get issue number one. That's the way to do it. And that's that change of things. And it just takes a little bit of redirection to set that up. But the cool thing is, once it's going, you don't have a situation where you have to keep that activity metric up. I think a lot of times in marketing, when we're the print shop for sales, we're also asked, how much activity did we do? Yeah. And I once had a CEO, um, back when I was a, a like a mini marketing manager, just trying to do my thing at a software company, he walked over and he said, hey, Casey, because that's how CEOs talk, for those of you listening. Um, <laughs> hey, Casey, um, how many emails did we send this month? And I actually knew the answer, thankfully. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> and, no, I said, about a million, actually. Sent about a million emails this month. He said, okay, well, great. Next month, let's send a million and a half, right? As if is the phrase, as if another million. I didn't know any better at that point, but okay, yes, sir, right? But now I know, like an additional million emails to the same people in a B2B sale doesn't do much other than aggravate people unless you're offering something really valuable. So it's not really about the activity metric. It's about how much did you help them? How, what was the quality of that? And then eventually, bottom line, how many revenue driving leads did you create? Yeah, I... Uh... I've recently been like looking at housing and like going to open houses and stuff like that. Nice. And I've actually, it's been really fascinating because I haven't had a situation in my life in a long time where I had, and I, you know, run a media company. So yeah. we, we do a lot of correspondence, Just a little. Um, <laughs> but I've never, I haven't had a situation in my life recently where you have like must open emails that like, as soon as you get it, you're like, Oh, I'm going to jump in. And sometimes that happens 12 times a day, like 12 new homes on the market. Wow. Right. And so it was this really weird experience to go through like Zillow and Redfin and all these where I'm getting like these cons like, Oh wait, that one sold like, or, you know, whatever. And looking at all these things oh, that's pending. And it's these like push notifications, right. Which was very addicting, which was crazy. Cause I'm like, man. And it just made me thinking as a, as a marketer, like that's not their email I mean, they have a lot clearly mark like architecture that supports all of that. Yeah. Um, but also it's about like the product that is, you know, out there on the market that like it is a just in time market that sure. is constantly evolving. Therefore, you have to be hyper aware of those sort of swings. This yeah. is why 
you know, like Rich Eisen famously talked about, you know, why he, why he loved the NFL is because, uh, he gets to do two different things, have like appointment television and then a podcast, which is like on demand. Okay. So it's like both sides of those things. And yeah. I always think about that as in marketing where you have, you know, like take Zillow, for example, or Redfin, they have this just in time aspect where it's constantly, you know, evolving where you need to be kind of paying attention and they're providing a real service to me. Right. But also you have, you know, the once a month, here's your, you know, market report for the area with stats, with information, with average, you know, home price where it's, you know, it, it doesn't need to, I don't need to open that up right that second. And I always think like as marketers, figuring out a way to same email list or, you know, yeah. or segmented, I'm sure, uh, with, you know, how many things I've, uh, I've opted into, but like thinking about those sort of ways, like how do you provide the thing that is the evergreen piece of content and then is the just in time information that like truly does solve a need? That's a really cool topic. It's a really cool thought process to think about timing, uh, and urgency. And I think, you know, in marketing, I, we we're so evolved to, play this long game, yeah. maybe we don't need to, you know, let me, I know you're researching our product now and our service now, and you may take six months, but you're here now. So let me take your information. It's like sending everyone to voicemail. Like, yeah, well, so you know, it's like sending your mother to voicemail. Yeah. We had, um, <laughs> we had Craig Swinsard and Sean Whiteley on yeah. from Qualified. Yeah. I love those and, guys. Yeah. They're awesome. Uh, and, and Craig was here yesterday and this is like, you know, the whole, their whole, their whole platform is, you know, based around this, but it's this idea, like, if you want to talk to someone right this second yeah. about buying, like, we got you. Why wait, right? <laughs> yeah, why wait? No, I love that. And I think, um, you know, to the, to the email point is, like, I got an email, really, really well-written uh, email from some marketing vendor today that was so good. And then they wanted me to click out. And I'm like, just give me the thing in the email. Yeah. And then next email, I'll want to read your email. And right. then next email, I want to read your email. Right. But now I don't want to read your email because I don't want to go do whatever action that you want me to do. And it's just like, I feel that the, in my opinion, the next generation of, of, you know, email marketing is like, just be the resource, like have the email be the product. Yeah. Like you don't need to send them a million other ways. I think the best marketing newsletter is Seth Godin's. Like yeah. hands down because it's always great, consistently great. And it's because it's just, just the information, right? Yeah. It seems like there's, there's fewer of those in our minds. Like I can, Seth's and there's another, there's a marketing BS one. Ed, I think it's Nevermon. I'm going to mess up his last name, but I don't like to read these newsletters because I'm always kind of like, oh, you're doing marketing to me and and you all know how I feel about newsletters, but yeah. a couple of these, you're right. If you provide that value up front, I'm in. I know this is something I should take a look at and I don't delete it right away. Otherwise, I'm like, I don't need this. Unsubscribe. I'm out. Yeah. Well, and I know that, you know, and and I get, and the reason kind of also why I'm bringing this up is that I think a lot of times when we talk marketing automation, our minds go to even email newsletters like mine has in, sure. in thinking about all this sort of stuff and that sequence of emails that I was getting from, you know, Zillow or, uh, or, or Redfin or whoever, those were triggered events that are happening in real time yeah. that are pushed to me based off of preferences, like right. in application or actually no, there's an out of application because they're email. But, uh, anyways, like that is like 
pure touch point marketing. And it's like, man, how exciting is that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. And when you can automate those journeys and like, you know, and if you have more sophisticated journeys or like buying journeys, like I wouldn't, I don't, I mean, you don't, I, you wouldn't buy on those platforms in theory, but for other things you would. Sure. And how engaged of a buyer would you have if, if they're paying attention that closely? Yeah. It's kind of like those old choose your adventure books, yeah. you know, like some people, are going to binge on Netflix. I think I watched the stranger things one in one night. That was no regrets. That was, it was, yeah. a, it was you watched a, the whole season. Yeah. It's 10 hours. Yeah. And I had, I had something important to do the next day too. It, it was, it was a rough, uh, I rough mean, I'm day. not judging you. It was, I, it, I think I watched, like but I couldn't go to sleep not knowing what the end was, yeah. you know? So, um, but you know, some, some people binge got it. You fill out one form. I love giving people a second form or some other content. You like, you signed up for this content. Well, Here's another piece you might also like too right now. Or do you want to talk to someone right now? Give the right now, Mr. and Mrs. right now, give them an opportunity. Agreed. And some people are like, actually, no, my seventh period is about to end. I'm going to get the kids back. I need to go do something else. Great. Well, we'll be here, right? Or, or someone else has a, has a meeting to go hop into. Great. We'll be here at your time. Maybe even let you change it up. Like, would you like to change the tempo of this thing? You want to engage a little bit faster, a little bit slower, but kind of be there as that, you know, choose your own adventure. If you want to go fast, great. If you want to go slow, great. Change your mind at any point, and I'm okay with it. I'm just here to not be annoying, but also really provide value. I call it the uh, the Goldilocks close, where it's like, is this too hot, too cold, or oh just yeah, right? yeah. All right, let's get in lightning rounds. Let's do it. Lightning round. These questions, fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Which you know well. Let's do this. Obviously. You know all about B2B marketing automation with Pardot. Fast but our listeners who have just been listening to it for the past hour, uh, if you don't check it out now, I obviously highly recommend you go to pardot.com slash podcast and learn more Boom. about marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Fast and easy questions. Casey, are you ready? Oh, gosh. Number one. Speaking of New England, what is your favorite one day getaway? One day getaway. See, this is what the short questions are never easy. They're actually longer, right? What is like Mark Twain? If, if I had more time, I'd write a shorter letter. I say that all the time. Right? Shorter podcasts are way harder than longer ones. <laughs> um, one day getaway. You know, being from New England, I'd say like a Cape Cod, but right now yeah. it's really cold. So I might just want to like hop down to Florida, Puerto Rico, just for kind of de-thaw a little bit, you know, thaw out from the uh, the snow. But I'll, I'll go with Cape Cod. Going to Martha's Vineyard or the islands in New England is a pretty good time. Get a little lobster. Favorite thing to cook or eat? <sighs> Favorite thing to cook or eat? Man, these questions are the hardest part. The lightning round is the place to go. Or um, there's lightning, there's thunder. You know, I'd say a good steak. Good steak, fun to cook, fun to eat. Yeah. Hidden talent or passion? Hidden talent. You know, I love skydiving. I love skydiving, like checking, jumping out of planes, even the perfectly good ones. Um, and people always ask me why. And I always tell them it's because the door was open, you know? So did you do airborne school? I didn't. No, all my jumping were at, was actually civilian stuff. That's funny. Because Marines, you know, we, we don't rate that. You know, we just push us out there and get us going. But uh, no, it was all just civilian jumps. Um and I just enjoyed it. So I've done a lot of tunnel time too. So I love flying in the tunnels, 
doing indoor skydiving. So I'm not the world's master at that, but I do, I'm pretty good at it. I'm still learning. It's a passion. It's fun. I feel like I'm ice skating on air. So that's a, that's a fun thing for me. Best advice for a first time CMO. Best advice for a first time CMO. That's fantastic. Um, You know, I, I tell you to, Start with strategy, like we've been talking about. And the very first strategy to, to address is getting to know your customer. I think it's this gray area, scary area of marketing where we let sales do all the chatting with our customer. And sometimes we just like to live in our lab. But I think, you know, the work that can go into buyer personas, getting on a call, visiting, going, having drinks or coffee with a customer and asking them buyer persona questions, Adele Ravella, win-loss, those kind of questions to understand what was their process? What was their thinking? I think that's number one. If you could just do that, just spend spend that first quarter interviewing customers, that would be my advice. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? Yeah, most, most excited I am about the future of marketing is really sales and marketing getting closer and closer and closer. Uh, and, and technology has actually been the thing that's doing this. I think before marketing automation, it was kind of easy to stay in your silos. Marketing automation came around and here it is. It's been, it's been a couple of years. It's been here, but it's connected the marketing system to the sales system. And it's been magical. Not all pleasant for everyone because now you have to have these conversations that maybe you've avoided for a while, but it's brought the teams to the same room to have those conversations because now we start getting linked and we start tying things together. But now as we add chat to the mix, but not just willy nilly chat and not the freaking bots, but like a real qualified chat interface where you're talking to people you want to talk to back to the whole lead grading and scoring. You want to talk to your A's, you know, let your bots deal with your D's, but talk to your A's and you want to talk to them now. But that means Sales is, and usually sales is the one manning the chat when it's done right, which means now marketing is not only sending over leads in sort of a now and later time frame. Now they're sending over real time leads. So now we have to have an extra conversation to talk about who do you want to talk to this very moment? And so I love the evolution of, of how technology is forcing us for a good reason closer and closer together to the point where marketing and sales, maybe we're sitting next to each other at some point. I don't know. Sales talks a lot. So maybe we want to put our Bose headsets on, but either way, we're getting closer and closer on the same team. And I'm just really excited to see what happens from that. Awesome. Well, Casey, we really appreciate you coming by the new studio. What a world. Uh, and uh, for hanging out at Dreamforce, I'm sure. Uh, are you coming uh, this evening? We're going to do a live podcast from Pied Piper. Yeah, I've yeah. heard about that. I'm excited, man. What you're doing here with the mission is just fantastic. Huge fan. Uh, many more podcasts to come. And yeah. I'll come back in this office one day and see it uh, with the gold records on the walls, perhaps. <laughs> uh, gold record. Well, not, not platinum. I'm, I'm a fan. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Kidding. Platinum records on that? the wall. <laughs> uh, do they do that for podcasts? If so, you're a platinum guest. Thanks for hanging out and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes. 
and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.